waiting, you love to wait, right? <laughs> we Americans are especially good at waiting. Waiting for someone or something to come is so very, very difficult. Mr. Ramsey, fourth grade Sunday school teacher, he was a well-to-do dairy farmer, had his own fleet of delivery trucks and everything. He was my Sunday school teacher. And for a treat, he took our boys' Sunday school class to the Pittsburgh Civic Arena to see a circus. It was a big deal for me because our family's income was a little bit low, so limited income, you don't get to travel the world too much. So it was a really big deal. And I don't remember anything about the circus, but I remember two things from that day. One, after the circus, we came out, out of the circus, and there were just people everywhere, and the two, two or three chaperones, it was a nightmare for chaperones, trying to keep nine or 10-year-old boys herded together because there were all these vendors, you know, toys and gadgets and candy for sale. And I had, I think, a dollar in my pocket, and it was burning a hole in it. And I bought two balloons. They were really big balloons. At least they seemed big to me as a nine-year-old. They're probably about this big around and about three or four feet long. And that's all I could afford. They were my souvenirs. I had to buy something, and I bought them. That's what I remember. And they were in my gadget box for a long time. I got my money's worth, two for a dollar. The other thing I remember is Norman Penrod. He was with Mr. Ramsey, and, and as we were scattered among all the vendors and all the people coming out of the, out of the, out of the auditorium, the Civic Arena, uh, he told Norman to wait here and not move until he got back, because he was going around trying to gather up the rest of us to get us all together so we could get back to our cars and go home. Well, we got all gathered together, and Mr. Ramsey, as we were walking to the cars, suddenly said, where's Norman? And he realized he had forgotten him for at least 10 or 15 minutes. So he went running back, and Norman was there, red-eyed, looking pale and fearful. But he trusted that Mr. Ramsey would keep his word and come back. Wow. Jesus Christ said, I'm coming back. You can trust my word. We should listen to his voice and obey and be busy doing and waiting and working because we know he will keep his word. The Lord, the God, the creator, our savior. Yes, <laughs> we need to obey. The book of Acts <laughs> like all of God's word, is so useful and it lets the, and the Spirit of God is speaking to us and he wants to show us what we need to do, what the church through the ages has, should be busy doing, waiting and then working. And the small band of believers here in the book of Acts in chapter 1, uh, we're just like them. We're a small band, but yet God is here with us and he's working. Chapters 1 and 2 of Acts introduce us to some incredible themes about the risen and ascended Jesus. That just keeps coming back. And all the sermons and speeches, it's a focus on who Jesus is. The Holy Spirit's baptism and the power that he gives every believer, it's a repeated theme that keeps coming back. We get to see how they were witnesses going out into the world. We keep coming back to that theme throughout the book 
of, of the book of Acts. Luke did that on purpose, by the way, guided by the Holy Spirit. And the theme of unity and being one together in the body of Christ, a constant theme in the book of Acts. They were waiting together for the gift of the Holy Spirit. So today we're going to talk about waiting together on the Lord Jesus Christ and growing confidence in him, growing confident with one another, growing confident, more confident in the scriptures. And then they were empowered together because they waited together. They were empowered to new life with a new power, with the new breaking down of barriers because the Holy Spirit came. So let's take a look again, and, uh, at, and I want to look at verses 12 through 26, and we're just going to kind of fly through them this morning, but the disciples were gathered together, and they were growing in confidence in Christ. Last week, I might have been a little tough on those disciples, because we talked about them being short-sighted about the kingdom of God, but you, we need to understand that they were short-sighted. Jesus was going to not only save a remnant from Israel and raise them up and make Israel great again. (laughs) It really is going to happen. But their vision was a little low because it wasn't just Israel that he was going to save a remnant from, from, but from the whole world, every nation, tribe, people, and language, he's going to save a remnant and make us into a glorious kingdom. And he's at work in doing that now. And I really hope the USA will become a holy nation. But we need to pray for it. And we need to work for it. Spreading the gospel that can change. The only one who can change people's hearts to love God and to obey him, just as Paul prayed this morning. The kingdom question was not a bad question because... Jesus, the risen Savior, was standing there. They should expect him to come and and establish his kingdom. They just had the time frame. They just had the time frame a little off. They were a little anxious. They didn't want to wait. Have you ever prayed that prayer that we find at the end of Revelation chapter uh, 22? Come, Lord Jesus. It's a good prayer to cry out. Come, establish your kingdom. Come. But we need to remember what we're asking to happen when we pray that prayer. It's not just going to be glorious. Yes, it's going to be grand and glorious. He's going to come back in the cloud of glory. He's going to, the Shekinah glory, he disappeared in it. He's going to be coming back in glory. But it also means very difficult times before he comes back. It means the saints who are alive in that time are going to be suffering greatly. Is that what you want? Be careful what you pray for. Understand that sinners are going to be being judged and and sent into eternal punishment. So understand what we're asking Jesus to do, to come, yes, establish your great kingdom, but Lord, be merciful before then and save many. Let that truth drive us to prayer and to work to spread the gospel. Allow that truth to make us more passionate and bold with the truth of the gospel. In Luke chapter 9, John and James got mad at the Samaritans. Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem, so the Samaritans didn't want Jesus to come into the village. 
So they had to go somewhere else. And they said, Lord, do you want us to call down fire? Let's get those people. Don't they know who you are? And Jesus rebuked them because it wasn't time for fire. It was time for salvation. It was time to spread the good news. And who knows if some of those Samaritans who refused Jesus at that point didn't later on receive Christ as Savior when the disciples scattered out from Jerusalem. Come, Lord Jesus. But in the meantime, make us passionate about your kingdom and spreading the good news. So they were waiting together by the, for the Holy Spirit to come, and they were growing in confidence in Christ, the risen Lord. They were growing in confidence with one another. Look at verse 14. They all joined together constantly in prayer. That is the 12 apostles. They all joined together constantly in prayer, along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. It's kind of interesting. The angels rebuked the men for staring up into heaven, just like the angels kind of rebuked the women standing at the empty tomb. Why are you looking for the living among the dead? Why are you standing here waiting for Jesus to come back? He's not coming back today. You have work to do. Go and wait for the Spirit. Their disunity was melting away. Hey, it was just a little over a month ago that these disciples were jostling with one another about who should sit on the right and the left of Jesus in his kingdom. And, you know, I can see, you know, James and John's mom came and kind of was trying to influence Jesus for her sons. And I can hear Peter and Andrew, you know, they were brothers saying, well, hey, wait, Peter's, you know, pretty big guy. He's one of the big three, and I'm Andrew's brother, and I'm the one who brought Peter to you, Jesus. Shouldn't I be on the right or the left of you? And, and I can hear Matthew saying, and yeah, who's the greatest? Well, wait, I know Peter, James, and John. You guys left your fishing business, but I left a pretty lucrative uh, taxing uh, business, tax gathering business, so don't I get some recognition here? And it could go on and on. And, and the women could have even gotten into the mix, right? Like, hey, you know, we were the first ones at the tomb, and why didn't you guys believe us when we came? You know, who are we? Are we nobodies here? We were followers of Jesus. We were faithful. We supported the ministry. Come on. And these same disciples were the ones who, in that upper room, would not stoop down to wash one another's feet. Too proud. But we see that disunity melting away because of the risen Christ. And they were awed by him. And they all joined together, literally, with one mind or with one passion. They were like-minded. The ESV, the English Standard Version, with one accord. And yes, that's where we get that Honda joke about what kind of car the disciples drove. They were together with one accord in one accord. They were together. Not just sitting together, but they were together in their hearts and minds. Unified in their awe and love and of Jesus Christ, the risen Lord, and now the ascended Lord. And they were constantly in prayer. The Greek word there means to be resolute. They were obstinate, stubborn, Obstinate, they would not quit praying together. Persistent, 
Nothing could get in their way. Nothing would stop them. They were busy waiting and busy praying, getting ready to do the work that Christ had for them. They didn't even know what it all would mean when the Holy Spirit came. But let's not miss out. There were 120 people, Luke says. I said 12 apostles. There were just 11, not quite to the 12th yet. And Jesus' mother and other women together. I have to say, uh, so excited about some of the young men, middle school and high school students and, and girls, this summer that were getting together and they were growing in their love and all of the Lord Jesus Christ. They were studying the scriptures together, getting united in their understanding of the scriptures, getting united in their hearts and their minds about the mission and praying for Christ's will to be done. That's a shout out to them. Don't let it stop. Grow. I've experienced the negative effects of people who argued about the color of the carpeting and the chairs in their church. And it came between them. And it affected their witness in their community so much so that they never grew. They let the bitterness root, the bitter root grow. And they could never swallow their pride and apologize and see God's greater work. They were weakened. And it all happened before social media was big. News just spread. It may not be carpeting, but let's be sure we examine ourselves and see if we're arguing about trivial and missing the awe of our Lord Jesus Christ and his mission for us and that we're to be together, praying together, being like-minded together, constantly, persistently, obstinately praying for his will to be done, for his spirit to fill us and to lead us. And they were growing in confidence in the scriptures. And that's why we have that long section about uh, Judas, the betrayer, uh, being replaced by another apostle, and there's been questions about this, and I don't want to spend too much time with it, but what's wonderful about it is, you see, the disciples had been with Jesus for three years. Jesus had given them great instruction for 40 days after his resurrection, so they were using the scriptures to guide them and to apply them properly, good exegesis, good, good, good use of scripture to guide their lives. They were praying together, so they were seeking God's guidance, using the scriptures and all of Christ, using, uh, asking him for help, depending on God, and God answered their prayer. The number 12 was a big deal in Jewish culture. The 12 apostles were important, and they needed to replace Judas. The scriptures kind of show it, so I don't think they made a mistake. I don't think the apostle Paul was the 12th apostle. I think Matthias was the 12th apostle. He was the one that the scriptures and the spirit guided to when they cast lots. Well, that was Old Testament stuff, and pretty soon they were going to be being guided by the Holy Spirit and listening to his voice. We'll see that later on in the book of Acts. Not casting lots, but seeking together in prayer the guidance of the spirit of God to guide them. So the 12th apostle was chosen. 
One quick thought before we move on. Look at verse 17. I've missed this for years, and it was pointed out to me by one of the commentators. In verse 17, Peter stood up and he said, Brothers, the scripture had to be fulfilled. I'm, I'm sorry, in verse 16. The scriptures had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke long ago through the mouth of David concerning Judas, who served as a guide for those who arrested Jesus. Now listen to verse 17. He was one of our number and shared in this ministry. There was deep hurt there. Have you ever been betrayed by someone? that shared ministry with you? Many of you understand that. Why Judas? Why would Jesus knowingly choose him? Unless we think Judas was a pawn in, in God's sovereign plan, well, God knows his name and he created Judas. Judas was offered redemption, salvation on the, in the upper room. Jesus washed his feet in love. He served him. He was offering to Judas forgiveness if he would just admit his, his uh, betraying heart. And he refused. So here we see God's sovereign choosing and plan and humans' moral responsibility. And those two truths are right there together and sometimes they don't seem to mesh, but they're there and they're both true and real and they don't conflict in the better ways of God. Judas ate with them. He cast out demons in Jesus' name with these disciples. He slept with them outside because they had no house to sleep in when they were going village to village. He heard the Pharisees scorning them and ridiculing them and questioning their ministry. He was one of them. And yes, there was reasons to be bitter. And the disciples could have given up because he not only betrayed Jesus, he betrayed them. He stole from them. He made times tougher because he was pilfering money from the treasury, from the treasury bag. <laughs> but they let it go. They learned that God was in this. They learned to examine themselves because every one of them could have been that betrayer. They were so close, right? I mean, Peter denied him. The other disciples fled in fear and hid because they didn't know what was going on. They probably gave up. It's all over. I don't know what was going on in their minds, but understand they learned their lesson. They were trusting God. They were moving on. They didn't become bitter and give up. They looked to the Lord Jesus Christ and his will for them, and they moved on in ministry, even though they had been betrayed and hurt deeply. So they were together, being encouraged waiting together, growing together, and then they were empowered together. And we go to chapter 2. Let's read a few verses, first four verses. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. There's that word together. And suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting, and they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. And all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. So they were not only waiting together, they were then empowered together. And the Spirit of God came, just as God promised 
on the day of Pentecost. And the day of Pentecost was a harvest celebration, which is quite fitting because there was a great harvest of souls that happened that day. And it was a time when the Jews were supposed to come together and have a feast for, for a whole eight days. And the baptism of the Holy Spirit came on Pentecost, and it was a unique day. When God gives birth to a new work, when God starts to do something new, he does spectacular things. Think about the birth of the nation Israel. It had been in process for years and years. But when they were freed from Egypt, what did God do? Well, there were the plagues. There was the Passover when the angel of death came and, and, and uh, the firstborn were killed and Pharaoh finally let them go. And then they got to cross through the Red Sea. All these miracles because when God is giving birth to something, he does spectacular things, miracle things, miraculous things that aren't ordinary to get things started, to show that it's a work of God. And that's what's happening here. On the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit had come and filled every believer that was there. Someone might ask, well, weren't Old Testament people, didn't they have the Spirit of God? Yes. But this is different. Why is it different? Because on this day, for the very first time ever, the resurrected Christ, his life, the Spirit of God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit came and indwelt every believer in that moment. Something new that Abraham couldn't have. Yes, Abraham was saved, and Sarah was saved, and Hannah was saved, and, and all the saints in the Old Testament who believed, their faith was considered and made them righteous because they were trusting in God. But now something new was happening the Holy Spirit came and made them one with Christ and one with one another. It was the first day of something that happens from now on for every believer. New life was given because Jesus established a new covenant in his blood, in his body, by his death on the cross, and now he lives in every woman and man who trusts in him. We all receive the Holy Spirit. In Ephesians chapter 4, it says, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit. That's something that comes from God. There's one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father who is over all. Yes, he comes to every believer. Just real quickly, the baptism of the Spirit is something, if you're a believer in Christ, believe it, I didn't see any tongues of fire come over my head when I received God's grace and goodness by hearing the gospel and believing it. I didn't speak in some other language. I didn't hear a rushing wind. But the Spirit of God came in. Paul makes that so clear in the New Testament. In 1 Corinthians 12, he says, For we were all, it's past tense, we were all baptized by one spirit into one body, whether Jew or Greek, slave or free, we were all given the one spirit to drink. He was talking about these Corinthian believers believing in the gospel and what they received. They were all baptized by the spirit of God, identified with Christ, made one with Christ. In Galatians, he said, I've been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. 
The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I'm alive now, alive to God in a new way because the Spirit of Christ is living in me. In the letter to the Ephesians, he writes, and you also were included in Christ when you heard the, the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Having believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is the deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession. So when we believe in Christ, that he's the Savior, we receive the Spirit of God. We are baptized into the body of Christ. We become one with him, and all who believe become one together. Are you feeling it this morning? You might not be, but it's true. It's a reality, and we need to react to that truth and work hard at keeping the unity and not fighting over the coloring of the carpet, but fighting over how best to do the work that God has for us, wrestling with that together, praying about it together, respecting one another, loving one another, because we are in awe of our risen and ascended Lord Jesus Christ. Water baptism is just an outward sign of what has happened on the inside when we believe. It's just a symbol, an act we take to show I am one with Christ through faith. United to Christ, united to one another. So they had new life given to them on the day of Pentecost, and now every believer in Christ, every true believer has that same spirit. And secondly, they had new power for ministry. We read in, in verses two through four that they, the Holy Spirit came like fire like a rushing wind. It filled them, and they spoke in new languages, languages they didn't ever speak before. The Spirit enabled them to do that. The Spirit of God came on Jesus like a dove when he was baptized. That was a sign that the Spirit was on him, and Jesus then went out. He was tempted for 40 days in the power of the Spirit, and then he began his ministry in the power of the Spirit. It tells us this in Luke 4. And Luke parallels that now in Acts chapter 2. His disciples, his followers, were now filled with his Spirit, that same Spirit, the Spirit of God, and now they were empowered to do the ministry that God had called them to to be witnesses in all the world. It was the birth of the church, and God is doing something powerful. Like I said, do you ever wish God would do something like that again? Yeah. But you know how he does do something mighty? A little bit later on in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 17, the Thessalonian believers they showed the power of God. The power of the Spirit was at work in their lives. And how did they do that? No rushing wind, no speaking in tongues is recorded there. Nothing spectacular. It's just that they believed in Christ and they turned to God from idols. They had a life change. And that was a spectacular thing that made impact in their city just like we can have impact around the people in our towns 
by having changed lives as we surrender to Christ, as we come together and pray together and do the work together and are in awe of our Savior and, and obey his voice and wait when he says wait and go when he says go. On the day of Pentecost, there was new life, there was new power, and it was a new breaking down of barriers. There were Jews from all over the world. I happen to be preaching from the, my new international version study Bible, and there is an awesome map right here on this page. And it just shows all the nations that were listed in Acts chapter 2 in those verses, verses 5 uh, through verse 12 all the different nations and places that those Jews and God-fearing Gentiles came from to celebrate the day of Pentecost. And it's just a small picture of the whole world from the east and from the north and up from the south and from the west, way out in Rome, and then there were people from the islands. It's just a small microcosm of the whole world, the world they knew, there it was. Everyone was there, and people heard the gospel, the glories of Christ being pronounced, being said, being told in their language. It was something new. For years and years it had been, come to Jerusalem, come to Jerusalem. You want to know the truth. You want to know our great God. Come and worship at his temple. And now God's saying, it's not just come here, but I'm going to be sending my people, what, out It was a sign of something new. Breaking down of barriers. No longer Jews and Greeks and slave and free and men and women. We are all one. Yeah, we're distinct, but we're all one in Christ. We all have one spirit. We all have one mind because of the spirit of God living in us. Followers of Christ. Just like Norman. We need to hear what he says and with confidence trust him and not move. And then move when he tells us to. We should be growing in our confidence in this Lord of glory. Growing in confidence in one another, having one mind together as we pray together, as we surrender our will to God's will. Growing in confidence in the scriptures, being hungry to know God's word, and then not just to know it, but to obey it. You know, the head to the heart to the hand. We have the spirit living in us just like those believers did on the day of Pentecost. Do you believe that? Have you experienced it when you have obeyed God? Haven't you felt God working and moving in your life? Yes. The church certainly isn't perfect. You know, that's not all our fault. That's, some of that's God's plan. We're in process. When we're saved, we're ready for heaven, but at the same time, we're not perfect. We have a long way to go in our growing and maturing in our faith and, and growing. So that's part of God's process because he brings glory to himself in our weakness. But a lot of times it is our fault because we grieve the Holy Spirit. We fail to live in unity. We argue about who's the most important, who has the best idea. 
We quench the spirit because we have a talent and we bury it instead of investing it and, and growing it and using it for God's kingdom. So we, we, we grieve the spirit. We quench the power of the spirit. We refuse to serve one another. I'll, I'll wash his feet, but her feet? No, not her. You know, we had to stink. And it didn't go well. And the spirit weeps in grief. Do you have Gideon syndrome? In Judges chapter 6, many of you are familiar with this story. Gideon, he was an Israelite, and it was tough times. Israel had been disobedient, willfully disobedient, and God was punishing them. And the Midianites were just taking over land stealing everything, overpowering them. They were hiding out in caves and holes in the ground. And, this whole, and a holy angel came to Gideon, and I pick up in verse 11. And here's what the angel said to Gideon, who was hiding in a hole in the ground, uh, harvesting his wheat. That's not a good place to do that. And the angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak at Oprah that belonged to Joash, the Abizarite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. And when the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said to him, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. He's down in a hole in the ground. And the angel says, Mighty warrior, and I just, <laughs> who? What? But sir, Gideon replied, if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all his wonders that our fathers told us about when they said, did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt, but now the Lord has abandoned us and put us into the hand of Midian? Hey, you're not one of those back-in-the-day people here at Grace Chapel, are you? I am one of those people back in the day. In my early 20s, I was here, and it seemed like things were vibrant, and there were hundreds of people here on Sunday mornings, hundreds of people here. And I think sometimes our view back then is a little rosier than it was. And I think younger generations new people who had no part in that get tired of hearing about back in the day. See, we're looking back. God, why don't you do what you used to do? And here God came to Gideon, and here's what the angel said, and it's, it's the Lord, by the way. The Lord turned to him in verse 14 and said to him, Go in the strength you have and save Israel out of the Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? But Lord, Gideon asked, how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my family. And the Lord answered, I will be with you. So when God taps you in the shoulder this week, are you going to say, Lord, why don't you do what you used to do? And the Lord's saying, I'm with you, and I'm sending you. Go because you have the power of the Spirit, you have my words, you have the unity of the Spirit with one another to do the work I'm calling you to do. Quit worrying about back in the day and think about what you're called to do today. 
tomorrow, maybe next week, but be ready to go. I will strengthen. Go in the strength you have. I will be with you. We have the strength we need, people of God. We have the Holy Spirit living in us. Jesus is with us. Yes, we can be fearless, right, girls, because we are dwelling under the shadow of the wings of the Almighty. We can go in the power of the Spirit. Let's pray. Lord, show us how sinful we are, our actions and attitudes that would quench your spirit. Lord, reveal to us the idols we need to let go of that we trust in so that we can change our lives following and worshiping and serving only the true God, the maker of heaven and earth, the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, the ascended one, the mighty one, the gentle shepherd. Spirit of God living in us, cleanse us and empower us. Fill us with your breath, the breath of your life. So we declare the salvation of Christ to the people around us. Lord God, we ask you to do this in your church all around the world, and we would ask you to be pleased to do it here among us so that the world would know and see your power in how we live and how we speak. And we ask this for your honor and glory in Christ's name. Amen. How do you walk in the Spirit of God? How do you do that? How do you walk with the Spirit, with the Spirit? We do it by depending on Christ, our risen Savior. We do it by constantly praying, praying individually and praying together, united in our minds, persistent in our, being obstinate, asking God to send revival here and then among the lost people around us that he would move us in a mighty way and then obeying the Spirit. Paul says this in Ephesians, be very careful then how you live, not as unwise but as wise, and make the most of every opportunity. Be filled with the Spirit. Speak to one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And submit to one another out of reverence for him. We have the power. God is with us. Go, enjoy, and serve your Savior this week. Amen.